Uh, good afternoon. Uh, we will continue our series on the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ in the book of Psalms. Uh, but before I begin, I want to again thank Dusty for a phenomenal job this morning. I appreciate your efforts and a and, uh, very powerful message, and uh, I really appreciate it. <clears throat> this afternoon, we're going to be looking at the issue of having love for our enemies. And I want us to begin this afternoon by anchoring down uh, on our assigned prophecy. And that comes from Psalm 109, verse 4. Psalm 109, verse 4. David writes, In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. And so how many of you, without a show of hands, have ever expressed some sort of love or gratitude or service towards another individual, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you felt like they didn't appreciate it? You know, I think that we could all relate to that in some regard. But I want to take it a step further. How many of you felt like you have extended love, you've extended service or hospitality towards someone, and in return you felt like they vehemently hated you for it? Even to the point that they would accuse you and make accusations and slander your name. You know, David wrote this psalm, but it was also inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it is a prophecy to the direct relation that Jesus Christ would suffer rejection when he was upon this earth. Jesus Christ walked this earth, and he tracked hundreds of miles. And as Dusty said, he went about healing and helping people. He walked hundreds of miles curing people of terminal diseases, of people who had repulsive diseases, and he would cure them. And he would track hundreds of miles, and he would find the detested rejects of society, and he would bring them companionship. Jesus Christ tracked this earth, and he spared people's lives from the hands of angry mobs making accusations against others. And he voluntarily allowed his life to be taken from him, to be murdered by the hands of the created, only for a world and a society to point at him and say, we don't want him. He's a blasphemer. Give us Barabbas. He's the same man. He's the same Savior. That stood up in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 and says, You have heard it said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But he goes on and says in verse 44, But I say to you, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You know, Jesus is addressing an audience here who was, for the most part, was compromised of, uh, of Jews. There were people who were of the Jewish heritage. And they were a group of people who were very proud in who they were. They were very nationalistic in who they believed as a society. The religious leaders of the Jews had manipulated them into thinking that they were the best thing that walked on the earth. And, and granted, they were God's chosen people for some time until Christ came and offered salvation for, for all of us. And they lived in a society from their, from their adolescence to their adulthood where they were taught that they were preeminent, they were superior, and everyone else who wasn't a Jew wasn't worth a spit that was on the ground. 
They were raised in a culture where they, they were indoctrinated with that. And they believe that. And Jesus is speaking to people who came from that background, and he's speaking to the heart of this issue. You know, even David, who was an Israelite, who was, you know, was a king of Israel, you know, even in this same chapter, when you look in Psalm 109 and you keep reading in there, David's talking about an accuser, someone who accused him. Look, listen to some of the language that David wrote in this. He says, set a wicked man over him. This is an enemy of David. And let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's judged, let him be found guilty. Let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Let someone take his position. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. He's wishing death upon someone. Let his children continually be vagabonds and to beg. Let his children be poor and transient. Let them seek their bread also from desolate places. Let them be hungry. Let his creditors seize all that he has. And let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him. Nor let there be any favor of the fatherless children. Let his prosperity be cut off. And in generations following, let their names be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. That's pretty harsh. That's an enemy of David. And that's what David wrote. And this is what Jesus is speaking into. This is the mentality that Jesus is addressing. And Jesus is saying, not only do you got to love people who don't necessarily look like you and don't necessarily have the same heritage as you, but you even got to go to the point that you have to love individuals who hate you. Individuals who want to persecute you, who want to see your destruction. Continuing Jesus' words there. He says on the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more do than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus states, if we are to only love the people who love us, if we're only to love the people who we have a natural affection for, what significance is that? You know, I love my brother-in-law, Sean. We have a lot in common. He married my sister-in-law. We like the same taco joints. We like the same music. We kind of look a little bit the same. We kind of have the same raising. I have, I have a, other than the height issue, but uh, we, I have a natural affection for him. It's not hard for me to care about him. But what about someone who hates me? What about someone who wants to see my, my destruction? You know, if I love that individual, that's significant, isn't it? That's revolutionary. That's not natural, and because it's not natural, it's significant and it has meaning. So what does it mean for me to love my enemy? You know, I think that we as a culture have really manipulated what love is, right? We as a society have been taught that, that love is the, the acceptance of all kinds of behaviors and, and, and things that are inconsistent with the commands of God, and we are to tolerate these things and to be acceptance, which is a complete disgrace, and it takes away from what the embodiment of what love truly is. It's natural for me 
to love those who are similar to me. But those who want to seek about my destruction, it's not natural. And this is what Jesus is trying to speak into the heart of. And so now Jesus is telling me that I have to love my enemy? You mean I have to love someone who wants to sever my head off if I don't bow down and confess that Allah is God? You mean now I have to love someone who rumors and gossips about me at work? You mean now I have to love someone? I have to love that neighbor who wrote a letter to the city because I didn't move my mailbox three feet off the curb? You mean now I have to love that individual, that kid who pushed my kid into the locker at school? Now I have to love that teacher who gave my kid a C on that algebra exam and he's trying to get a scholarship? And Jesus said, yes, we have to love those individuals. And there's something very profound about that. There's something so unnatural about that that Jesus is trying to convey to you and I. And so the question is, is how do we love our enemies? What is Jesus teaching us? The first point I want to make on how you and I can practically love our enemies is this, and I think this is what the Scripture teach. The first thing that we have to do is to refrain from retaliation. That's the first thing. You know, Jesus also said there on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. If someone smites you on the right cheek, you turn the other. Something very bizarre, something very unnatural for us to do when confronting an obvious enemy. But it's the first component about loving our enemy is not retaliating against them. You mean when that, when that neighbor writes a letter to the city or calls the city and complains about my mailbox not being three feet off the curb? You know what that doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that I should sit down and pull out my letter and say, you know what, buddy, I see you planting gardenias over there. I know we're supposed to have tulips. Warm regards, jerk, Kyle Smith. That's not what we're supposed to do. My child comes home and tells me that he was shoved into the, lock, into the locker. You know what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean, okay, so I'm going to show you how to drop kick this little punk right into, the, right into the wall. This is what Jesus is combating. This is what Jesus is teaching against. And you and I, in loving our enemy, the first thing that we have to understand is that we cannot retaliate against them. He's teaching us something very counterintuitive to our culture. You know, Paul writing to the Romans. Sorry, I'm totally off here. There it is. I'm sorry. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 14, Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is all possible, as much that depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will reap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. You know, there's a very unique, unique situation going on here at Rome. When you look at the Roman letter, I think I've said this here before, when you look at the first chapter of Romans, it's Paul writing, and he's specifically directing his attention to some Jew- Gentiles there. What you had was you had a mixture of Gentiles and, and Jews there at Rome, and he writes there in the first letter, and he says, okay, this is the problem with you Gentiles. You need to correct these things. And the Jews are over there, and they're nodding their head, and they're crossing their arms. That's right. But then Paul turns around in the second chapter of Romans, and he says, well, let me tell you about you Jews and the issues that you have over there. And so you had a situation where they were not unified. You had a a situation where they were very diverse. And this is one of the issues that Paul is trying to get to the heart of and and trying to to address the division and some of the issues they had. And in teaching this, notice the first thing he says is, do not avenge yourselves. Now this comports with the teachings of Jesus when we talk about not retaliating and loving our enemies. You and I should give place to the Lord that he will take care of those things that we see as an injustice in our society and our world and those in, in our enemies that when they rise up against us to trust that we can't retaliate against them and that God has it under control. The second point I want to make, a very practical point on how you and I can love our enemies is that we have to obviously pray for them. You know, going back to our, our psalm there, Psalm 109 verse 4 says, In return... For my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Again, this is a direct prophecy of Jesus Christ, and we see the fulfillment of this in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments, and they cast lots. And so for the love that God, for God's Son to show mankind, they accused him, and they took his life. Jesus, in the process of dying, uh, under the rule of Roman torture, looked among the people there in isolation and prayed for them, something that you and I probably never, ever, ever imagined. But yet he set the precedent and he set the pinnacle of loving our enemy. You know, sometimes I look at this and I read this and I think, God's son did that. And you and I can't forgive Bob over in accounting when he told everyone in the cafeteria that we intentionally didn't clock out for lunch. Seriously? I think we can do that. I think we can pray for other people. I think we can pray for our enemies. In Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, it's written in the law. What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said unto him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you'll live. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? And so here we see Jesus being challenged by one of the religious leaders of the day. And he says, hey, Jesus, uh, what should I do to have eternal life? And I can only imagine Jesus in that situation thinking, well, you're, you're one of the religious leaders. What does the scripture say? And, and he regurgitates the law back to him. He says, oh, well, you're supposed to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And Jesus looks at him and says, that's right. If you do those things, you can have eternal life. But then he says, oh, Jesus, one other thing. Oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, who's my neighbor? As if to condition that statement, as if we can distinguish who's our neighbor and who's not our neighbor, as if there's a certain group of people or sect of people that we can disclassify as a neighbor. 
something that they were very prevalent in doing in their Jewish culture, loving themselves and patting themselves on the back. And so here we have the scripture saying, you need to love your neighbor. And then Jesus shows up and says, not only do you love your neighbor, but you love your enemy. And so what does that mean? That means we love our neighbor, we love our enemy, and everyone in between. That there is no exception to this, that there is no rule, that there's no certain sect of people that we can exclude as being our neighbors. And then Jesus goes on to teach them about the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm all over the place with this PowerPoint. I'm sorry. Am I hitting it? Okay. Thank you. Let's put it right here. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and, and wounded him and departed, leaving him dead. Now by a certain chance a priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came from where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will come again, and I will repay you. So which these three do you think was a neighbor to him and fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. You know, the law says, love your neighbor. But Jesus goes even further to say that we love our enemies. And so here Jesus gives a description of two people who were religious, who were of Israel, who passed by this man. But yet a Samaritan, an outsider, someone who was an outcast, expressed love and hospitality and care for someone. And Jesus challenged them, says, who do you think was more loving? And they gave the correct answer. You know, when you look at this term enemy in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, it means someone who is a foe. When you look at the word, it means someone who stands in hatred or opposition to you. But, and I think some of you have seen this term I've got up here, a frenemy. Any of you here know what a frenemy is? It's the emergence of two words, friend and enemy. It's an urban slang word. And the definition is a person with whom one is friendly despite a fundamental dislike or rivalry. And how many people do you know that, uh, that you come in frequent contact with that uh, you, know, you really just dislike, but you put a smile on and you shake their hand, hey, how are you doing? There's people that sometimes you, co-workers, competitors. Jesus says that we have to love these individuals. We have to love our friends, we have to love our neighbors, we have to love our enemies, and we have to love our, our frenemies. Proverbs twenty four seventeen says, Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. And this is what Jesus came to teach and came to remove from our hearts. You know, back, some of you who studied literature know of uh, Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was a prominent figure in Rome. Uh, for quite some time. He was eventually assassinated. A coup uh, formed against him and took his life. And at that time in Rome, there was um, um, very political battles going on. They were losing some military wars, and so Rome decided that they needed to uh, become uh, an empire. And so the Senate convened, and they, and they, and they, and they put up a, a Caesar and a Caesar Augustus, and we go through these certain Caesars, and then we get to this Caesar named Nero. And Nero persecuted the church. Heavily. In fact, in 64 AD, he set fire to Rome and burned over 75% of it. And when it was all done, he sat there and pointed the finger at the Christians. 
falsely accused them. People's homes destroyed, the cities destroyed. You know what they did? They took those Christians and they round them up and they threw them into coliseums. And they fed them to lions. And they set them on stakes and they lit them on fire. They took them from their families and they tortured them and they crucified them. You read it, it's all in history. You know what? Jesus' words on the Sermon of the Mount still applied then as those Christians died in those Roman Colosseums as they do today in Dallas, Texas and the Metroplex and all over the world. The principle has not changed. And so who's your enemy? Who's your enemy? And so the important things I want us to remember this afternoon is that we cannot retaliate against our enemies, that Jesus commands that we pray for them, and that we serve them. And why do we do this? And I think it goes back to what Paul was saying there in Rome. So that you may overcome evil with good. And the last point I want to make about this is that this is not a suggestion. That this is a command given by the Lord. Period statement, declarative sentence. You and I are required to love our enemy. I appreciate your attention this afternoon. Uh, at this time, uh, we're going to have an invitation song. Uh, I ask that you come as we stand and sing a song selected.